Hello, and welcome to 30 for 30 Podcasts, our series of original audio documentaries from ESPN Films and ESPN Audio. My name is Jody Avergan, and this is the first episode of our fourth season. Last season, we brought you a five-part series on the world of Bikram Yoga. This season, we're going back to individual documentaries, five different moments in time. Our first one is one that applies a small lens to a big story, steroids in baseball. For years, especially in the 90s, steroid use by major leaguers was kind of an open secret, but not one that many players were willing to talk about. These players, by the way, were huge, giant necks, bulging biceps, enormous home runs. And one of the biggest and most controversial players was Jose Canseco. He was the one that finally decided to break the code of silence, and he did so by writing a book. This is the story of how that book came together, and it's also a look at whether an important message will ever be heard when it's coming from a notoriously unreliable narrator. A quick warning, this episode contains mature language. Now, here's 30 for 30's own Andrew Mambo with Juiced. The very first time I had the idea or the thought of the book Juiced when... I'll tell you exactly, I remember it. Jose Canseco had always talked about writing a book. But on this day in March 2004, something changed. Canseco had retired from baseball two years earlier, but he was only 38 home runs shy of 500, a magical number that used to guarantee a spot in the Hall of Fame. And he was trying to get back in. I remember going to an open tryout for the Dodgers. Two and a half years after his last Major League appearance, when he hit 258 with 16 homers for the White Sox, Canseco grabbed his bat and glove and went to try out for the Los Angeles Dodgers today. And there were a lot of people there. The media was there. And Lasorda was there. Tommy Lasorda, the legendary L.A. Dodgers manager. Canseco, with the number 521 on his back, signed in, stood around, ran a 696. By the end of the tryout, and I'll never forget what Lasorda said, the media asked him, so tell me, Tommy, uh, did Jose make the team? Lasorda says he didn't make the team. He looked like he was out of shape. I've never been out of shape in my life. So for a, a chubby little fat troll like Tommy Lasorda, who is, you know, the worst Humpty Dumpty out of shape pasta eating moron I've ever seen to tell the media that I was out of shape. That's a slap in the face to an athlete. Especially to an athlete who is a former MVP, World Series champion, and the first player in baseball history to hit 40 home runs. There's a high drive. That might be number 40. It's and steal 40 bases in the same He's year. There's the throw. Number 40. But the six-time All-Star had another side to him. At times comical. And at times dark. Canseco's going over to the stands here. I don't know what he's doing. I think he's after somebody. Well, I think Jose always had that uh, cartoon figure kind of in him where he, he probably was more of a WWE actor than he was a you know serious baseball player. Pedro Gomez is a baseball reporter who's followed Jose's career ever since they went to high school together. Jose always had an up-and-down relationship with Major League Baseball. 
He felt they loved him when he was hitting home runs, breaking records, and taking teams to the World Series. But as he got older, he felt baseball was shutting him out. Clubs had probably grown tired of all of the other things that come with Jose Canseco. Oakland's Jose Canseco is accused of attacking his wife, Jessica, early this morning. Already under house arrest for violating his probation. Jose Canseco has been arrested on suspicion. If convicted, Canseco could be sentenced up to one year in jail. I think a lot of clubs say, well, is it worth all the baggage to have him on the roster? That probably played a role in the Dodgers saying thanks, but no thanks. Jose felt betrayed because he thought the game still owed him something. Major League Baseball was saying, Jose, we don't care what you do. We're not going to let you in this game again. When I went home, I said, people have to know my story. I am not going to go silently into the night. That's not my character. And one of the very few ways back then to get the story out was through writing a book. At that time, at Regan Books, they had pornographers, they had celebrities, and, and worst of all, they had like, politicians. Daniel Nayeri was an associate editor at Regan Books, a branch of HarperCollins Publishing. They specialized in sensational titles like Jenna Jameson's How to Make Love Like a Porn Star and the infamous O.J. Simpson book, If I Did It. When you walked through the doors, you kind of knew what was happening. You were doing books that were intended to be um, controversial. A force in the publishing world, Regan Books was led by its namesake founder, Judith Regan, a badass, no-nonsense publisher who demanded the best from her staff. Once, I remember she said good work about something, and I, I still remember it. I remember where I was standing. Where were you standing? <laughs> we were standing next to her assistant pool, and she I had run over just before she was going to go out for a dinner to show her copy. Previously that day, she had read it and called me an illiterate monkey. And then I rewrote it as fast as I could so I could catch her before she left. And I gave, gave it to her the next draft. She read it, and she goes, good work. And I'll, I always remember the good work. Like, that's the one that stuck with me. But Judith Regan wasn't just a tough boss. She had come into the publishing world and flipped the game. I really credit Judith for having an acquisition style that's very active. You're out there hunting for the coolest people in any given topic. At times, Judith would take that on herself, finding stories wherever she saw them and leaving torn out pages from magazine articles around the office. I see that article on my chair and it means get a hold of this guy because by 2 p.m. Judith wants to talk to him because that model that she had was meet interesting people, they have interesting stories. My name is Judith Regan. I am the publisher of Regan Books. In early 2004, Judith got a call. It was from Jose's agent. He was requesting a meeting for his client. Jose Canseco had an explosive story about baseball. It really wasn't a genre that I was that familiar with, and I'm not somebody who knows the minutia of the sports industry. Baseball wasn't really Judith's thing but she was willing to meet with Jose. Met her one time, came down to the office. I had a conference room next to my office and Jose Canseco walked in. And Judith Regan is sitting there with a couple of her assistants. And here was this guy, you know, big guy with muscles. And of course I'd seen his picture before. And I said, I'm gonna be honest with you, Jose. I'm not a sports person. And I think you were in People Magazine. And I think you had sex with Madonna or dated her or something. So <laughs> I guess she knew me more 
of the individual who dated Madonna or whatever, hung out with Madonna than a baseball player. Judith was interested in Madonna, but she also knew Jose was there to talk about something else. So I asked him where he got his muscles, and he told me, and he started talking about steroids. He told Judith when he was a young minor league player, he made a promise to his mother on her deathbed. You know, she'd never seen me play a professional baseball. And, I, you know, I cried my eyes out, and then I promised her I was going to become the best player in the world for her. But to do that, he needed to get faster and stronger. So he went to see an old friend from high school who was a bodybuilder. We were at his house. And just, you know, casual conversation like kids do all the time. You know, what happened to my mom and the promise I made her and what can I do? He mentioned, Jose, why don't you use steroids? Why don't you try them? And, you know, funny because he he had it right there in his house. So it wasn't a big deal. And uh, he just loaded up the needle. And I was watching him get it out of the bottle. He basically said, you're ready? I said, yeah. He injected me. I really didn't feel it that much. He says, that's it. I go, that's it. He goes, that's it. Steroids quickly transformed Jose's physique. He put on 50 pounds of muscle in less than a year. And his newly enhanced body helped take him from minor league nobody to major league star. And he started telling me about, you know, kind of behind the scenes and injecting other baseball players and this whole world of, of drugs in the baseball community. Jose described being in tiny bathroom stalls, injecting teammates and showing them how to inject themselves. But with every detail he told Judith and her team, no one ever thought to ask why he was spilling baseball secrets. I've, again, published so many thousands of people. I didn't get that this was a bitter guy. I really didn't. I felt that he, that he was hurt, but I didn't feel that he was bitter. I was fucking angry at Major League, but there's a difference. You know, upset doesn't blind you. Angry blinds you. And that's what I was angry. You fat fuck, time in the sort of, all you do is fucking eat pasta, they look like Humpty Dumpty. Judith paid Jose for the rights to publish his story. And then it got passed to Daniel Neyeri. His boss handed him two folders with stories to go into the production pipeline. One of them, it says, Mr. Big, and it's the memoirs of this guy who has a 13-inch penis. And the other one, it says, Juiced, and it is Jose Canseco, and he wants to do a tell-all about, you know, steroids and sports. But Daniel could only choose one to get started with. I was like, ah, geez, let's see what's going on with this guy's cock, I guess. Mr. Big was a book Judith optioned after she read an article in Rolling Stone magazine about the complicated life of the man with the world's biggest penis. Come on, that's a fascinating subject. The only problem was Mr. Big wasn't the happy-go-lucky guy winning in life that you would expect. I mean, you had this guy who was sort of, you know, this maladjusted dude who had the luck or the misfortune of having a huge cock. He became this kind of oddity and people wanted to look at it. You know, they just thought of him as a penis. And the question was, is there a book here? And you could just tell if if we had done a book, it would have ruined his life. Halfway through, we were like, all right, I guess we got to go back and see what this Jose book's going to do. Regan Books was ready to write a book with Jose. But for the book to stand out, They needed something no one else in baseball had done to this point. They needed Jose to name names. I spoke with Judith and she said, Jose, you've got to put names because no one's going to believe this to be true. And we won't print it. We won't waste our time printing this. I think that he, like most authors, was reserved and didn't really want to name names. And people 
get very bashful about that and they don't want to make enemies and they don't want to hurt their buddy's feelings. And I had lost sleep and I had nightmares with one little devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other shoulder. The devil saying, do it for what it did to you. People need to know your story. The angel saying, no, don't do it. Forgive and forget. But you know what? The little devil won because I was angry at Major League Baseball. So Judith gave the green light and the real work got started. First up, find a ghostwriter. The man for the job, Steve Ketman. I had to convince my agent that this was a good project for me. He thought that the you know, unsavory aspect with Jose was a reason not to do it. And I said, this is going to be an important book. It's worth doing. And I'm the person to tell the story. Steve was a sports writer based in Brooklyn. As I watched what was happening in baseball in the mid-90s when I was a beat writer for the Chronicle, I was, like a lot of people, alarmed. Clearly, a lot of guys were using steroids. He was so alarmed that he wrote an article for the New York Times in the middle of the 2000 season. In it, he directly called out baseball for looking the other way when it came to performance-enhancing drugs. I had really tried to get people just to open their eyes. I just felt that it was a huge story that such a large percentage of players in baseball were using steroids. And I felt the general public really had no understanding of what was going on. Right away, Steve and Jose got to work. Kinda. The first time I went out to California to see him, I had only a weekend with him, and I, I want to get going. Steve was there to write a book, but Jose wasn't so ready. Jose was doing everything he could to make excuses. So I get there, he wants to show me around his ridiculous McMansion that he had with horrible choices on display everywhere. And you just looked around and you thought, does anyone actually live here? Steve kept trying to work, but Jose was avoiding it. So this night, when I showed up to talk to him for the book, he, of course, wants to go out in a limo and hang out in clubs and maybe try to impress me. I don't know. Um, Hang out with people, and then maybe after that, depending on what after party's going on, go to an after party. You know, I'm just looking around at all this, I don't know, enhanced cleavage and very L.A. scene, and it seemed pretty pointless. When they finally got back to the house, it was late. So they agreed to start first thing in the morning. The next day, Steve kept trying, but Jose just wasn't interested. Doing a book is really hard. It's a marathon. And to do it, you have to really want to do it. And you have to either have a good idea of what you want to say, or you have to have the stamina to hang in there to find out what you want to say. On the second night, Steve finally got Jose to sit down and talk. And the way we did it is we would go upstairs to his bedroom. He had this big canopy bed with satin sheets, and he had back issues. He had a lot of back pain. So the only way he got in the mood to talk was to lie flat on his satin sheets in his bed, I think in like boxer shorts. We spent a lot of time in person just sitting down like you and I, talking hours upon hours upon hours. But I would sit in a chair next to the bed, ask him questions, and he would, he would talk. And that was really the heart of the interviews for the book. And for days, that was the flow. Jose laying in bed and Steve sitting next to the bed with a tape recorder furiously taking notes. Jose started from the top. He told Steve about his mother and the first time he took steroids. 
And then he told them about 1988, when the steroid rumors first began to spread. Thomas Boswell, a Washington Post reporter, had gone on national TV and called him out. I have heard very well-known ballplayers in baseball say, casually, talking about steroids, they call them a Jose Canseco milkshake. It is absolutely a given in baseball clubhouses that he is the most conspicuous example of a player who made himself great with steroids. Jose told Steve how he felt singled out, but he wasn't going to let Boswell's accusations take away from his MVP season. The last 10 days you've been all over the media. Tom Boswell, a fellow out of uh, Washington, has made an accusation about you using steroids. Uh, the statements that he's, he's made are, are false. I mean, some of, of course I'm not going to admit that I'm using PDs because they had no proof whatsoever. I never tested positive for PDs. Jose told Steve how as the season went on, the crowds began to boo. And there was one town in particular that really let him have it. Today, live from Fenway Park in Boston, it's game one of the American League Championship Series between the Oakland A's and the Boston Red Sox. It's a cool... Now we're playing the playoffs. I'm in right field, and the fans just went crazy. Just saying steroids. So I actually just turned around and gave him a big flex, and they went nuts. crazy that they were on my side applauding because you know really we're entertainers and fans should just want us to acknowledge them that year Oakland swept Boston but went on to lose in the World Series to the LA Dodgers the next year they marched back and won the whole thing Jose Canseco was a world champion Fifteen years later, laying in his bed on satin sheets, Jose told stories that confirmed Steve's biggest hunches. That more and more players were using steroids. And that Major League Baseball essentially had a don't-ask-don't-tell policy. In 1991, the league sent out a memo that using steroids was against the rules. But it was a joke, because no team ever tested for them. They didn't care what I was doing. They wanted me to do whatever I had to do to promote the Oakland A's to hit monstrous home runs, to do the 40-40, because I was filling out the stadium by myself. Jose told Steve story after story about how players were always coming up to him, asking him questions about steroids. The same stories he later told Pedro Gomez. You know, let's say he'd hit a double. The opposing second baseman or shortstop would come up to him during the game, like right when the double was hit, and say, hey man, what are you on? I got to get some of that. An important thing to understand about the Jose Canseco mindset at the time that we were working on the book is he really did see himself as the Pied Piper of better living through chemistry. Here's a question. If at one point in time, everyone in Major League Baseball is using PEDs, it's an even playing field. Why are you cheating? You're not. Up to then, Jose had told Steve about himself, his career, his use of steroids. Now, he was going to have to share dirt on other players. I mean, there was some sleepless nights in there, too, because these guys were also my friends, my teammates. But Jose had promised Judith a book with names in it. And if that's what it was going to take to get back to the league, then that's what he was going to do. I think uh, he just pulled out his Rolodex and said, you want names? I got names. Here are all the players that have ever talked to me or that I know firsthand what's going on. 
And it wasn't just, this player asked me for advice, or I heard a rumor about this second baseman. Jose gave specifics. When I injected Juan Gonzalez, he had the nicest ass out of the bunch. So I kind of say jokingly, Palmeiro had a little bit of flat ass, Juan Gonzalez the best ass. So <laughs> it's kind of funny. Jose introduced countless ballplayers to steroids. That was all obviously true. I had background reporting on it. I knew a lot of people in the A's organization who I talked to over the years. I knew that we were on very solid ground. For the editors at Regan, all the details in the book were fascinating, even juicy. But ghostwriter Steve Ketman knew they were game-changing. I understood I was at the center of a very large storm, and it was surreal in those weeks leading up to publication when really no one else understood that, including the publisher. But they didn't understand how this would be perceived in the world of baseball or the world of sports writing. I understood what we had, and I understood the impact it was going to have. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Jose walked into Judith's office in early 2004. Writing began in November, and the plan was to have the book out before spring training in March 2005, one year after the failed tryout with the Dodgers. I was told it was going to be a much faster... Uh, production it was going to be a crash book. Daniel Nieri was used to editing quickly. That was the norm at Regan Books. But Juiced, that was a whole new level. This is not going to be a book where you write the whole thing and then you turn it in months later. This is a book where every two chapters you're going to start um, mailing it back so we can get started on the editing. I remember Christmas Eve 2004, it's midnight, and I called my girlfriend to wish her Merry Christmas from the office while I'm editing Juiced in my pajamas. Like, that's how I spent Christmas Eve that year. So it was just me and the lights are down. And uh, and so, yeah, it was it was very, very fast. It was it was definitely the fastest book I'd ever been a part of. But around the new year, ghostwriter Steve Ketman heard some troubling rumors. It got back to me that Judith wasn't sure she wanted to publish it, that she was giving some thought to killing the book. Steve was not going to let that happen. And he had an idea how to save the book. So we added the athlete sex life chapter. My agents and myself and some players, we would go to a club with a couple limos, bring back about 20 girls. Back then I had really big suites. And uh, we would have beauty pageants. In my suite would have fake cards with markers. And the top like five contestants, we continue the party at night, taking them out with us to all these exotic clubs and stuff like that. The rest of the girls would have to go home. I knew that Judith Regan would find it interesting, entertaining, and it would be something that could interest people who weren't 
you know, seam heads. They weren't crazy baseball fans. This was more human interest. It was more the bigger than baseball side of Jose, Madonna, and that chapter of his life. And when I mentioned Madonna, that I had to run it with her and she wanted to date me and she wanted to have my kids and get married. And the whole combination, Judith Reagan found that incredibly interesting. I think it goes to show you in-house, Madonna was an actual hook for this book. Jose was always telling anyone who would listen that one day he would write a book. There was something he was always talking about to the point where in the glory days, there was a kind of a joke, you know, in the clubhouse. Guys would even kid him about, gonna put that in your book, Jose? The beat writers who covered the team, we'd laugh about it like, what could Canseco possibly write a book on? But the joke wasn't funny anymore. Word was getting around that Jose had actually done it. I just remember players talking to me and asking, what is he going to say in this book? What do you think is going to be come out of this? And I, and I said, you know, Jose, it could be anything. Pedro Gomez, Jose's high school friend and longtime baseball writer, soon found out exactly what was in the book. I remember receiving a big brown envelope that came in the mail. And there it was. And uh, I opened it. It was from a publisher. And I grabbed a, <laughs> a glass of wine. I sat down. And I started reading Juiced. The book called out people like Canseco's former Bash Brother teammate, Mark McGuire, MVP Juan Gonzalez, and all-star slugger Rafael Palmero. I remember getting it about a week and a half, two weeks before, and thinking, oh my God, this is going to blow the lid off of baseball. February 14th, 2005. Jose Canseco's book, Juiced, hit bookshelves. How much of what Jose Canseco says should we reasonably believe? You could see the, the amount of energy that was going into trying to trash the book immediately. I am not going to extend my benefit of the doubt to Jose Canseco, who has been a loose cannon at times. You know, whatever motive Jose is doing this for, you know, we don't know. You know, whether it's financial, whether it's fame, I mean... Jose had broken a code by talking about what happens in baseball locker rooms. And people didn't just attack the message. They attacked the messenger. What will happen with Canseco, and I would do this if I was the lawyer for somebody else. I'd deny everything that happened, and I would attack Canseco's character. I am on steroids. I've been on steroids. (laughs) I'm full of juice right now. Gives you that extra edge, yeah. I have a hard time believing Jose Canseco. I have to have a second or third source on this one. Do you have money problems? Do you need to make money, and did you write this book and, and not care what you said in it just to make money? You know, what's the guy's character about? Look at what Jose's track record has been throughout his major league career as well as since he's been out of the game. A lot of the media that cover baseball view themselves as guardians of the game. And I think that they wanted to take on the the mantle of protecting the game and saying, no, this is not true at all. And or at least most of it is not true. There was a lot of pushback to the book from some of the biggest names in baseball. Legendary manager Tony La Russa. I'm very upset because uh, the claims that he's making are personally and professionally going to taint teammates that deserve the truth, and that's not what Jose's throwing out there. Juan Gonzalez. Canseco's comments hurt my feelings, you know, because I'm, I never have used uh, uh, the steroids or something. Barry Bonds. I was better than Jose then, and I've been better than Jose his whole career. So I, I, don't have, I don't have anything to talk about Jose. 
look, you know, did he betray people? Did they feel that he was a rat? Yeah, of course they did, you know, because he told the truth about what was actually happening behind the scenes. And nobody likes that. Nobody wants to hear the truth. Nobody wants us to pull the curtain and see the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, right? But he did. You had a lot of players who were humiliated and their only recourse was to call Jose a liar at the time. But sure enough, I mean, Jose's credibility when it came to naming names, you know, to use a baseball term, he hit for a very high average. And of course, we find out after time that no one sued me because obviously you can't sue the truth. It's just ridiculous. Within a month, Juiced had hit number one on the bestseller list. And it was also becoming clear that the impact was going to go beyond the bookshelves. Jose's wasn't the only steroid story making headlines. By this point, the FBI had opened an investigation into superstar Barry Bonds and the steroid manufacturer Balco. They could easily come after Jose next. In the period when the book was coming out, I was very concerned about a knock on our door and having the FBI come in and want everything. As a ghostwriter, Steve Ketman had recorded all his conversations with Jose. I had them in some like special hiding place, and then I, I tossed them all at one point because I just considered them too hot. I often recycle tapes anyway, so I don't want to make it sound like I was tampering with evidence or something. But I made a point of not only getting rid of that, but I think I had some notes, uh, transcript that I also... Um, took off my computer and put on a disc and then hid somewhere. Steroids will again take center stage before Congress March 17th. Jose didn't get wrapped up in the FBI investigation. But just weeks after the book's release, his allegations did get some attention from Congress. Members of the Major League Baseball Commissioner's Office, along with former player Jose Canseco, have been asked to appear as the House Government Reform Committee investigates... Congress is going to take up the issue of steroids and baseball. What are they doing meddling in, in baseball? If baseball is America's pastime, hearings about baseball are one of Congress's favorite pastimes. I think there were two dozen. <laughs> Remember, this was, you know, the early 2000s. David Marin was the communications director for the House Government Reform Committee. We were in the middle of the Iraq War. We were uh, in the middle of debates, really partisan debates over, over tax cuts, uh, regulatory reform. The atmosphere on the Hill was, was fairly toxic. The representatives on the committee needed an easy win. They were looking to hold hearings on a subject where they could show bipartisan support. And when Jose's book came out, they thought they'd found it. They figured nothing would rally Americans more than Congress standing up for the sanctity of America's favorite pastime. Intelligence reform bogged down, gas prices at an all-time high, and millions of kids without health care. It was comforting to see Congress take on the most pressing issue of all. Do baseball players use steroids? <laughs> Here's a hint. Yes! March 17, 2005. When the hearing started, the committee members were all seated facing a row of empty chairs. Dozens of photographers stood by waiting for the players to arrive. One by one, these giant men in custom suits and somber faces entered the room. We're going to swear each member in before they testify individually. We have a very distinguished panel here, obviously, in front of us. 
Mr. Jose Canseco, the former member of the Oakland Athletics. Mr. Sammy Sosa, current member of the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Mr. Mark McGuire, the former member of the Oakland Athletics. Mr. Rafael Palmero, current member of the Baltimore Orioles. And Kurt Schilling, current member of the Boston Red Sox. Um, Mr. Canseco? Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you very much sir, for being here. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, members of the committee, distinguished guests, my name is Jose Canseco, and for 17 years I played professional baseball. Over the course of two and a half hours, the players denied and evaded almost everything thrown at them. I do not intend to dignify Mr. Canseco's book. It should be enough that you consider the source of the statements in the book. Mr. Canseco is an unashamed advocate for increased steroid use by all athletes. First, I hope the committee recognizes the danger of possibly glorifying the so-called author scheduled to testify today or by indirectly assisting him to sell more books through his claim that what he was doing is somehow good for this country or the game of baseball. The statements were carefully crafted to walk a fine line because admitting to steroid use could have landed a player in prison for up to a year and up to five years for perjury if they lied. I can't answer that. That's not for me to determine. Um... To my analysis, I don't know. You didn't know. I'm not going to get into the past. I had no idea. I'm a private person. I don't really go, you know, ask people whatever it is. I've never had that problem. My message is that steroids is, is bad. Don't do them. It's a bad message. And I'm here because of that. The one I didn't like, when Rafael Romero shook his finger at Congress, he said, let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. I do not know how to say it any more clearly than that. Never. The reference to me in Mr. Conseco's book is absolutely false. It, it was ridiculous because I injected him. I have heard a discrepancy of opinion about the seriousness of the problem. Mr. Conseco says it's rampant. Mr. Schilling says he's not so sure. He doesn't really think it is a terribly serious problem. So let me start off, and I know this is a hard one. Are we talking about 1% of players, to your judgment, doing it? 10%? Is Mr. Conseco the only player in the world to have done this? Mr. McGuire, would you like to speculate? I would know, but there's a, there's a big reason why we're here today to talk about it. Okay. Right, Mr. Palmero? I wouldn't know. I couldn't take a guess. I just think as long as even 1% is too high. This is a joke. This is a fucking circus. This is a goddamn joke. Nothing was really accomplished that day. There were no admissions from players. But the integrity of the game was now in question. Baseball's biggest heroes had been asked tough questions, and their answers hadn't convinced anyone. The most important thing for any, any pro sport is the, that it has to be legitimate. And uh, the fact that PEDs were so widespread led to a lot of people believing that the outcomes were illegitimate because whoever had the better chemist was going to win the game. Baseball's reputation was damaged, and now they would have to take the issue of steroids seriously. What Canseco's book did was basically push baseball toward testing um, because Congress got involved because of Canseco's book. And I think for that reason, baseball said, we will take care of this. We will clean up our sport. Today, MLB and the Players Union agreed to a new policy that toughens penalties for steroid users. 50 games for a first offense, 100 for a second, and a lifetime ban for a third. The I think that uh, as, as 
much as baseball may want him to just go away and you know never mentioned his name he is going to be mentioned throughout history of the game because of the role he played really in in pushing for testing But even still, Jose Canseco himself doesn't seem to fully grasp the impact and the consequences of writing Juiced. I wanted to tell my story and I wanted to attack Major League Baseball for what they did, what they allowed to happen. Big story of the day, Rafael Palmero suspended 10 games by Major League Baseball today after testing positive for steroids. Historic suspension handed down by Major League Baseball, 105 games for former AL MVP Miguel Tejada. So anything in the way of me getting to him, I, I took it down. Which later on, I realized it was the very wrong thing to do. When your anger subsides and all the dust clears and you realize, you know, you kind of see atomic bomb went off. That period is tarnished for us. It's going to be very difficult as these sluggers and players become eligible for the Hall of Fame to decide what to do. And then when all the debris clears years and years down the line, you see the devastation and the damage. St. Louis Democrat wants McGuire's name stripped from a five-mile stretch of Interstate 70. I think today's testimony probably will cost Mark McGuire a first ballot induction to the Hall of Fame. There's no getting around the fact that these players will forever, you know, be tarnished. It'll probably be in their obituaries. For an entire generation in baseball, performance-enhancing drugs were the elephant in the room, the growing problem that no one wanted to acknowledge. And then Juiced came along, 300 pages of petty revenge. With the book, Jose Canseco, the man who in many ways was most responsible for the spread of steroids in baseball, lit a match and burned the reputation of the game and some of its biggest stars to the ground. Do you see the impact that your book and you had on changing the game? Let me tell you something. The only thing my book destroyed was me. Everyone else benefited but me. I was destroyed the most by just telling the truth. I suffered the most, period. And we'll leave it at that. Thanks for listening to 30 for 30 Podcasts. My name is Jody Avergan. ESPN Films senior producer Aaron Leiden and I are series editors. This story was reported and produced by the one and only Andrew Mamba. A heads up, later this week we'll be posting a bonus episode, a conversation between me and Andrew, where we will play some audio that didn't make it into the episode, and Andrew will talk about what it was like to interview Jose Canseco and lots more. So keep your eye out for that. Okay, we may have the longest credits in podcasting, but that's because a lot of awesome people are involved. So here we go. Juiced was edited by 30 for 30's Julia Lowry Henderson. Mixing for this episode by Mitra Kaboli. The 30 for 30 podcast team also includes Ryan Nantel and contributing producer Keith Romer. Additional editorial support from Brendan Schwanet, archival research by Vin DeAnton, Taylor Barfield, Sean Mercer, and Kate McCullough for the production assistance. We had additional production support from Sarah Ventry and Brad Ross. For ESPN Films, our executive producers are Connor Shell, Rob King, and Libby Geist. Our development team is Adam Newhouse and Jenna Anthony. 
Our team also includes Deirdre Fenton, Jennifer Thorpe, Kath Sankey, Louise Argianis, Maria Delgado, Tom Picard, Paul Williard, Eve Wolf, and Alex Bowen. The ESPN audio team includes Trog Keller, Tom Ricks, Megan Judge, Pete Giannassini, Ryan Graner, Devin McGowan, and Elizabeth Fearman. Roger Jackson provided fact-checking. Our theme music was composed by Rishikesh Hirway, who also makes the podcast Song Exploder. Special thanks to Paul Creighton, Brett Saxon, Robert Sanook, Howard Bryant, and Kenny Malone. Thanks to ESPN's Ryan Hurley, Ray Dinahan, RJ Santillo, Rodney Belazare, Tony Chow, and Kate LaRue. And a quick thank you to the folks at the Third Coast Festival in Chicago, where we premiered this episode a few weeks ago. That was really fun, and Third Coast, they are just the best. We're posting lots of extras on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and we just gave our website a bit of a refresh as well, so check that out. We've got transcripts, videos, and of course, the full archive of episodes available to listen for free, 30for30podcast.com. Shout out to Kate Elazgui, Linda Tran-Tudovan, Justin McGraw, and Laura Hernandez for helping with that. Be sure to subscribe to 30 for 30 Podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. We'll be back soon with more 30 for 30.